with the funeral today of Princess Diana, the announcements of the uh, death of Mother Teresa, the planting of the tree for Claire Wood, who died some days ago, one of the former uh, Guy House uh, managers. Um, I would like to speak this evening about uh, impact and changes that take place in our heart and the kinds of flows and outcomes uh, that can and do occur. And it might be that just in the course of our day here at uh, Gaia House with the meditations, we have found perhaps our hearts and minds uh, turning quite uh, naturally towards those that we know, uh, love and have a connection with. And in our silence and stillnesses, we might have been experiencing some response to times and periods in our own life of uh, significant uh, of change, of uh, sudden upheaval. And those that we know and love and have spent time with who were very much part of our lives and being in our lives and of our lives, passing from our lives. And the for a number of us who are in the hall here, we will have lost uh, both parents, or one of our parents, or our brothers, or our sisters, or our relatives. And I remember a story which has, has been passed down for generations in the Buddhist uh, tradition. And it told at the time of the um, Buddha, of a woman who lost her very young child, two or three years old. And as mothers can be with the loss of a child, she was utterly grief-stricken. And she went to the Buddha and she said to the Buddha, you're a man of great wisdom and great compassion. You're a man spoken of as having great powers of insight and uh, vision and capacities to heal. Please, please, all I want, all I ask is please bring back my child, bring back my child uh, to life. And the Buddha's uh, response may have seemed rather tough for some, but his response was, he said to the woman, go and knock on every door in the village and ask if there's anyone in the village who hasn't known of somebody who has died. Go and ask at every household and to the person who comes to the door, ask that person, have you known of somebody who has died? And the woman said, for my dead child, I'll find somebody, I'll find somebody. And she knocked from door to door. And to every person who answered, when she asked the question, they say, I'm sorry, yes, I know of 
somebody who died. Went to the next house. I know of somebody who died. I know of somebody who, di- who died. And though in our culture and society we ha- hide the dead from our eyes, we keep them separated. But we can't be separated from the knowledge and neither can we be separated from the impact of the experience of knowing somebody who has died. And one of the impacts that has, often determined of course by how close the person is to us. Sometimes it's not just through blood but it's through time, but sometimes neither through blood nor time. It's actually through impact. It's through through quite short-lived interactions with somebody, but he or she has touched us very deeply in ways which sometimes we've hardly known at the time. And sometimes it's the unexpected not somebody who we even know, but who has been close to us, and we might think of Princess Diana or uh, others, who for one reason or another have had some impact in the heart life and have registered with us, almost in the same way that relatives and dear close friends. And all of those kind of changes and, and shocks which take place. We, the impact and the outflow, what comes out of us in the time of unexpected and sudden change? Last week, I, my uh, daughter, she's Nashona, uh, who's 16, came home and a friend of hers, hers, a close uh, teenage friend of hers, 19 years old. His father does wonderful work in uh, Totnes looking after the youth. His 19-year-old son went for a few months trip to Australia and was in northern Queensland. And while there was camping there, where others were camping, and said that he was going off for a six to eight hour walk in the bush north of Cairns, very remote country of the uh, uh, outback in my own uh, youth, in my early twenties I hitchhiked from uh, Darwin in the north through the northern territories through Queensland down to Sydney, must be 4,000 kilometres or more and he just went for a a walk in the bush. And those of you who have ever been to the outback will know, as I remember once, walking a hundred metres off the road and not being able to see the road. And the country is so flat and it's just scrub and bushes and creatures. You don't know where you are. You've only walked a hundred metres away because you can't see the road anywhere. And he went for a, a walk but nobody told the authorities that he didn't come back to the campsite uh, that night. 
They found his tent was still there, passport, money, all of his clothes, uh, etc. It was three or four weeks before anybody told his parents. You can imagine the distress. You can imagine the loss. And when my daughter was in the uh, cafe in the town, his uh, young man's older brother came rushing into the cafe and told my uh, daughter's uh, friend they had been brought up together, very close together. And this, the grief and the sorrow and the panic and the wondering what, what, what to do and, and the father rushing as fast as he could to Australia and going to um, Cairns and asking and talking and wondering and nobody, not the police, not the dogs, not the helicopters, nobody knows what, what's happened to him. just a, a young man wanting to take a walk. And it reminded me of that uh, uh, a little bit. I had an Israeli father and son come and stay a couple of uh, days with me just uh, recently. And a 17-year-old son, son said to me, his father said, let's you know, we're staying in a hotel in Totnes or in Torquay. And the son said to me, when we were coming down in the car, we saw on the map a patch of green um, uh, indicating that it was a forest. And he said, I don't want to stay in a hotel. He said, can you just point me in the direction of the forest and I'll go for a walk for three or four days. In English forest, it takes about 20 minutes. <laughs> and he said, I'll go for a walk there and uh, just spend some days uh, walking, you know, have these kind of situations in uh, Israel very much. And it kind of just reflected to me again the, the, here's the, the spirit of uh, independence. Uh, young men, young women wish to be adventurous and independent and yet carrying with it, of course, naturally enough, a, a factor of the unknown, not knowing what might be next, not knowing what would come next. And in this case, what happened to the, uh, this young man in northern Queensland? Anyway, it's a tragedy for the parent. No greater loss for a parent than to lose their son or their daughter. All of this, it hits something strong in human life. It hits something very deep in emotions and in and in feelings, it, it sets up, it sets up uh, waves. And sometimes in the waves of feelings that get set up and run, run through us, there's a kind of time, hopefully, for recovery, a time for healing, and a time for making fresh steps in our life. But you know, sometimes it, never, it doesn't, the healing doesn't take place. The recovery doesn't take place. The whole mantra that you and I will speak of, of where well, life must go on, we must go, go on. And to some degree we do, but not everybody. I remember a guy on the retreat with me and he said that his father had died in 1956. His mother had never changed their bedroom. 
the clothes of the father still hung in the same wardrobe, in the same place. The clothes and the drawer same, the same. The wallpaper was still the same. The bed was still the same. She couldn't bear to change anything. She father, her father said, her mother said, to, uh, his mother said to him, he wouldn't have liked it. So every night she went to bed and still the day of the death in 1956 when he died, not in that room, but when he died, was still present for her. And everything, all the clothes, everything was just as it was some, in this case, 30 years ago, in the last decade, I was told this. As I say, when we look at our life and the, the movement and the, the flow of our life, feelings and responses come out. And, w and when there is change and the impactfulness of, of, of change, the whole feeling life and the way that it can manifest and, and flow can go almost in any kind of direction. Even when people have been extraordinarily kind and compassionate or genuinely caring, that one can find oneself in change or in loss, in separation, not even in death, but just in separation. Feelings and thoughts arising and it's preceded relentlessly, remorselessly with if only. If only. If only I had, I should have. I had the same thoughts arising myself with uh, uh, um, uh, 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 Princess Diana and I'm sure others who were infinitely much more closely in contact with, 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 with her. And of course, in all the process of things in, in such a life, there's extraordinary vulnerability. There has to be much more than in most of our lives. And in the expressions of that, that vulnerability of so much control, so much outer pressure that uh, take, takes place, that when things are coming together, things can so quickly fall apart. And how many times one, the thought can arise in our minds of situations where, as I say, life is moving along in its own kind of reasonably orderly way and then out of the blue comes a point of information and everything in the whole heart, mind and body suddenly undergoes such an unexpected shift which you and I and others weren't prepared for. Test the metal of our wisdom about life, for sure. Test the metal of how much understanding we have. Test the way that we can view anything as in terms of taking anything in this world for granted. And sometimes in these things of the unexpected bursting through, out of the blue, that come. Now, uh, and, and the impact of it afterwards. And we'll say to ourselves, and we'll say to each other, I n could never have imagined this. I never thought that this could have happened. 
So the impact and the contact and the flow from the inner and to the outer to the inner means that the wave, we have to live with the wave from within. And every thought that we have that flowers out of that wave, every painful question that comes, every if only, every judgment, every outburst of anger, every blame, everything that we g- goes on has to be seen in the light of impact and one's having a struggle, understandably coping with it. If we don't see the thoughts and the feelings as part of just the outpouring of the moment and belonging to each other, we'll tend to believe inherently in the thought. We'll give the thought a degree of realism, a degree of judgmental uh, position. And we forget that the feeling life has been touched, there's the outflow, the thoughts are affected uh, uh, by that, the the, the memory comes in, and the memory comes with, I remember when, that, the, that then fuels the feeling life and there's a sequence and a flow of memory, images, thoughts, feelings, all interacting together. Difficult, painful, upsetting, but still process and movement of life. Process and movement of life. Can we, can we hopefully be as clear as possible possible about it. Not I, not me, not myself, not what I am, not, not making ownership of out of it. Why should we? Just life impacting on its own being. The life of others impacting on us, aren't we? Impacting on others and the outflows as I say, unshaped, un- not organised, just outpourings. One of the difficulties, when it's so-called personal, we see it in very personal terms, whatever the circumstances, uh, of the unexpected that you and I have experienced in our life, are experiencing or will experience, will experience, is that personal drama of our life that take place and being respectful and acknowledgement of them can kind of obscure and hide a kind of larger sense of things. In other words, something happens in our life and it shakes up our our existence. It might be brief or it might be uh, uh, longer term. And with it, naturally, because the way it impacts on the way our thoughts and memories and perceptions go, it means that the story is accelerated. The story of what's happening the role, the identity, the contact, the communication, the story is highlighted. The pictures and the recollections and the sense of loss 
and I and other all compounds together and produces a story, a drama, an event of our life. When the story of it fades, as it does, and yet the feeling of whatever it is which is left, the feeling which is left without the story might, just might indicate a little bit more about living. About coming and going about deeper things of life, about presence and absence, about change, about beginnings and endings, about love and awareness, about acceptance and interaction, about connections and communication, about presence, about not taking anything for granted, about knowing that this world is somehow full of mystery. And we might lose access to all of that because the story of the personal event, important and significant and not to be undermined, can also be the end result. And perhaps you, I don't know if some of you have have been to funerals. I've been in the monastery, I've been to a lot. I used to. In the monastery we had the funeral pyre in the middle of the grounds. We did all our walking meditation around it. We did all our standing meditation around it. And usually once or twice a week they would bring in the bodies and pile them on the wood. And besides that, we, were, uh, we would uh, stand and do the, the death chant. And because in Nakhon Sitamarat in the early 1970s, there were a lot of terrorism, a lot of uh, brutality by the military, taking suspected terrorists into helicopters and kicking them out over the village, that kind of brutality uh, upon uh, people. Uh, the the anti-personnel mines that took place many times. The teacher would send me down to the local hospital ten minutes away just to go and witness, go and look at existence straight in the face when they brought ten minutes after it happened people with their legs and arms blown off people with bullets in their back holes as big as a 10p, 20p coin in their back from the etc, etc. I'd get sent down there and just to witness, see what my responses were, see what it was like witness standing in the, I remember standing in, in the uh, surgery theatre and the doctor who was my supporter just there with surgical equipment, just cutting off somebody's leg. Woman in her thirties stood an anti-personnel mine outside her village. And sees change in the death and when people would come in 
young and old, sick, rich and poor, died from long death, died from being murdered, died from car accidents, etc., etc. And we stand around, as I say, and watch and witness all of this with the death chants that went with it. And sometimes one would witness and watch all of this and you, you get used to anything in life. Just you get kind of mind as an extraordinary capacity just to see and barely notice, see and barely feel. And it's not that we should have to feel and have to respond and in that way. But there are times when it things strike home in its more impersonal light. In its more impersonal light. And one feels a kind of uh, sense of solidarity in a way with humanity. One feels the connections with uh, humanity and one doesn't take a kind of uh, one's life as a major event. Just an outpouring of the nature, coming from the nature and belonging to the nature. And if sometimes we were just to witness a funeral and really attend, as, we, as those of you, probably many, many if not most of you, have been to a funeral, and sometimes in that attending to a funeral, the feeling and the thought comes up is greater than the event. No, even though the event is obviously significant. And the feeling and the thought which arises can be, what's it all about? What is this all about? And it can take the death of another who we know, who we love, who was connected with us, to act as a contribution to waking us up. It seems a terrible pity that we can't do it without having our inner life shook to the foundations of our being by somebody who is close to us dying. One thinks of uh, probably the most, one of the most famous in the Western culture historical death would have to be Jesus. Age 30, speaking for three years in various villages, towns, Jerusalem and his community. People taking a certain degree of uh, notice generating praise and blame to all of the extremes as has gone on in history. But it took a death, his own death, his own crucifixion for those who are close to him to wake up, to actually take notice of what was being talked about. Before that, just whatever, students, friends, companions on the way or whatever we might 
interesting or whatever. It seems a terrible pity, as I say, that it takes death to come alive. The tradition, very wisely, and, uh, has uh, encouraged and uh, endorsed again and again the importance in life of awareness of change. And when we say awareness of change, awareness of impermanence, it's an awareness of impermanence is almost a polite language, really, a kind of socially acceptable language for what's really meant, and that's an extraordinary acute awareness of birth and death. That we need to give so much attention to it, to really witness the birth and death of the hour, the birth and death of the moment, the birth and death of our feelings, the birth and death of our ego, the birth and death of our thoughts, the birth and death of the day, the birth and death of our roles, the birth and death of our relationships, the birth and death of our own existence. And sometimes it can seem uh, whatever. To some who have a, um, which we call it, a more positive not beneficially, but more positive kind of frame of mind to say, oh God, it's a bit depressing, isn't it? Actually talking about birth and death. The kick-off at one end and the blowing of the whistle at the other <laughs> and us running up and down between the two goalposts between. It seems all a bit, oh God, rather dreadful, bland way of looking at the... at. Uh, at life. But obviously, that, at least I hope obviously, that's not the intention. I think the intention is more profound and serious than that. I think the intention with giving real care and genuine heartfelt sensitivity and awarenesses to birth and death, to coming and going, is that it makes us that much extra conscious of what's going on between birth and death of our called life. It hopefully it accelerates some, something out of ourselves in a way which makes us feel extraordinarily close to life. I know the Buddhists go on ad nauseum about being here and now and being mindful, and being awake, and being conscious, and being heartful, and being, 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 God, being, and more being, and being, but somewhere in all the monotony of the linguistics, and all the um, um, promotion of awareness, and insight, and uh, understanding, there's some good, solid, down-to-earth common sense that goes with it. Don't sleepwalk. Don't sleepwalk through this existence. For your own sake, for God's sake, for truth's sake, for anybody's sake, but don't sleepwalk through life. And one of the uncanny things about that, which 
in learning and understanding what it means not to sleep through, walk through life is that in this mystery of things there's always lots of paradoxes and one which um, may have come to mind is if one really loves life to bits as some of us do actually a kind of an ongoing love affair with the here and now and all of its strange manifestations then it would seem oh it's going to be a lot harder to leave this world if one's got extraordinarily close to it and loves it right? intimacies of it the sweetnesses of it and, and all the uh, confusions of it which um, humanity is a master of making that in all of that one would think gosh get so close to life feeling it connecting with it touching it through eyes, ears, nose, tongue, touch, heart, thought, everything. That it's going to be harder to leave. Because one's really gone into it, one's lived. One knows in one's bones, one's lived, one is living. And every confirmation comes day by day, so one would think it would be harder to leave. But in the paradox of things, those who have the most trouble leaving this world are those who sleepwalk through it those who are alienated from it, those who have never connected with it because somewhere in the depth of their being they know they've missed it. And then death comes along days, weeks, months, years later or even closer and it's terrifying. And it's terrifying because it's going to cut off an opportunity for what? To wake up. And all the desires of the mind, the wanting, and the self, 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 self actually stops the access to life. It stops the intimacies of it. It stops the mystery of it. It stops the, the, the awakening to it. So as we get closer to life, death actually becomes more of a friend than a threat. And if we're sleepwalking through life, alienated from it, detached from it, disconnected from it, wanting, wanting, wanting from it, when life has given everything it could give already, then we're going to feel worry, anxiety about growing old, about leaving this world. We're going to start speculating about what comes next. And we only speculate about what comes next because we don't even know what is. So then we come to our conclusions about rebirth or heaven and hell or a disembodied spirit or, uh, or complete extinction or whatever. So Dharma teachings are a contribution to us towards uh, an authentic genuine sense of awakening and if that awakening takes place the line between birth and what was before death and what's after isn't quite as black and white and as I say sometimes the death of the other is a reminder of waking up and one of the things that we have been seeing and 
was referred to uh, earlier on. The sense of human beings wishing to be close together, connected together. The, the, flow, the throwing of the flowers that were re referred to during the day, the one, mi one million bouquets of flowers which have, have been left. We can say, God, something of human beings, what they can do when they're touched the power of it, the authority of it, the passion of it, the, the, the love of it. But it not only, to me, it not only carries all of that uh, with it, but it's something of kind of generosity of spirit. It's something in which the self forgets itself and it, and it responds to something larger than itself. And it feels towards being something with something larger than itself. And we can find that through our collectivity, being together. And we can find it also and equally through the silence. The silence is as much an open doorway for us, for that sense of something bigger than self which is in awakening and enlightening and truly freeing as much as we can find through being with each other. And it's like people need a catalyst for that. So Diana was the catalyst for it today. And there'll be other catalysts for it in the, in the future. A retreat is a catalyst for it. But if we're genuinely receptive and we genuinely understand birth and death and coming and going and we witness it and we feel it and connect with it, the catalyst of awakening keeps occurring. But keep feeling extraordinarily close with life. And it doesn't matter whether we're on the streets going to work on a Monday morning or pottering around in our house or having a coffee or seeing a friend or what, whatever. We feel the pulse of life. But for that, we need to be awake. So let's use uh, the time and the resources here as fully as we can. When we are touched, when the personal story impacts upon us, and it needs to and should and is appropriate. But let the personal story not overshadow the larger dimension so that human beings, us, humanity, we, we ourselves have an extraordinary sense of what the whole expanse of what it is to be in this world means. Since we didn't create the idea of, well, I think I'll go down to earth and hang out for three score years and ten, give or take a bit. Since we never invited ourselves to end up and be like this, it's rather a wonder and a mystery of itself. It's rather extraordinary.
and perhaps the extraordinariness of it, the mystery of it, the inability, the, as we heard today, the inability to grasp it, makes the truth of it ungraspable. So ungraspable, it sets us free. May all beings live with awareness. May all beings live with insight. May all beings live a life of wonder and freedom. So let's have two or three minutes, please. 